we're live. Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czars podcast, and we are host tonight, Nate and Thomas. That's me, Paranoid American. And we have Simon Esler on. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, I just got through your documentary, uh, The Screener, and it was it was uh, it was dark, brother. It was really good. It was some fantastic information. I'm really glad that you made this, and uh, dude, it was powerful. Uh, Simon, this is your first time on the show. Uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and the best place they can find you? Right on. So uh, I have been in the sort of conspiracy theory space for probably about a decade now. Uh, I was uh, I was initially more in the UFOlogy space because I, when I grew up, I actually had like a number of experiences that really opened my mind up. So I think that's one of the reasons I probably ended up going down rabbit holes later on in my life. Um, so I, I spent some years in that space. Uh, I, uh, at the same time I was teaching meditation and, uh, performing a lot of different spiritual practices. So I ended up becoming uh, a minister and, uh, doing some wedding ceremonies. And at the same time I was working as a personal support worker and an actor on stage. So I was doing like a lot of different things at once. Um, so when, we got to the point in human history when there was all these lockdowns and all this madness, I ended up not being able to do my work as a personal support worker. The theater industry here in Toronto got destroyed. Uh, and all of a sudden I was put in this position where I had to take all my skills and put them into like one place. And so I started developing content for uh, streaming platforms. I started off working with uh, Edge of Wonder, which is now Rise TV. Uh, I did a series there, uh, three seasons a series called Worlds Within, where I did deep dives on metaphysics and warfare and human learning uh, and uh, inner awareness. Uh, and then I decided to take all my comedy theater training and start to make some, some uh, sketch comedy material. So I made a 60-minute sketch comedy special called Theorize About Conspiracies. Uh, and, uh, I shot, shot, wrote, edited, performed everything myself here in Toronto. The whole thing is me going through Toronto, going to different spots in Toronto that are connected to like new world order history and conspiracy theory history. Uh, and then I ended up, uh, moving towards, uh, making some, uh, some documentary content, uh, with rise TV and also with a platform called dauntless dialogue. Um, and that's where I put sort of my biggest project before the one I'm currently working on, which is a docu-series, a six-part docu-series called Superorganism that explores the occulted war on the family and the concept of the traditional family unit as a superorganism. So that's on Dauntless Dialogue. And then from there, that's when I jumped into researching for my latest docu uh, documentary cut, Daughters of the West. And that is diving into the impact of gender ideology on girls in in Western society and how devastating it's been. Yeah, man, it was, uh, it was eye opening. A lot of the stuff, like I dig into this stuff. So a lot of it wasn't necessarily new, but like for me, but a lot of it was like the way you set it up was just, it, it was, it was expert, man. It was fantastic. I, I especially like how you started it with like young women um, and how it did, the depression that comes uh, from just like social media and expectations and unrealistic expectations and comparing themselves to like some standard that doesn't even exist. 
and these young women are just like the rise of depression. The rates were just like skyrocketing. Uh, what was that around 2010 is when it really, or 2012 is when it started really picking up. And uh, it was, man, it was just, it was heartbreaking, dude. And then uh, the one, the thing that was new to me is I guess I didn't realize how much labiaplasty was going on. Like, so yeah. these young women have these like unrealistic expectations, I guess, of what their vagina needs to look like to like please a man. And I think that's probably to due to uh, also like porn being so readily available and people seeing like, and I, there, I know for a fact that there's unrealistic expectations for like young girls as young as like 13 and stuff to like do anal and shit and do all kinds of, and like do awful shit because that's what everyone's watching on porn. So they think that they have to do that too. They have to keep up. They got to do that. Or, you know, it's, it's, fucking dark dude and really awful yeah um, it's crazy it's crazy honestly like i i had this hunch about cosmetic surgery culture because i was like you know that's it's not just gender ideology you know there's there's some weird shit going on in cosmetic surgery culture and i the more i started digging the more i started finding this weird stuff like this labiaplasty explosion you know it was widely reported on like that's the thing you see in the opening of the film i found so many headlines reporting on this but and yet a lot of people have no idea. In fact, a lot of the people I've talked to in promoting this film were like, I didn't even know what the fuck a labiaplasty was. Like, they just had no idea that that procedure existed. Um, and yet, this this was something that was spiking and continues to spike, you know? You saw in the film, like, this started spiking before the gender ideology craze, but as of the, st the stats in the film are from the summer of 2022. And the majority are from young girls, uh, you know, even then. So this is happening alongside the, the trans craze in young girls. So really that to me, where I was like, whoa, it's just like all the girls. It is the daughters of the West. Very much so are just under this crazy attack. And we really need to step up and see what's going on here because it's pretty serious. Yeah, man, it, it really is truly a war on women. And it's not. You know, it has nothing to do with the wage gap or any of these crazy things. It's like, I mean, it really has to do with like the attack on the family because you're yeah. taking these women and you're like telling them, look, I mean, the first, I mean, the first part of that, like to me, it's just like modern, like cronyism, like crony capitalist kind of bullshit where we like told women that to be happy, to be satisfied, they need to go and be in the workplace among men and like spend 50 hours because that's what makes us so happy is because we're spending <laughs> like the majority of our life at work and not yeah. with our fucking family, you know? It, so that fucking lie and just, uh, yeah, dude, it's been an attack on women this entire time. The whole modern feminist movement has been a giant attack on women and it's just been awful. It's been trying to, you know, take away the most natural, beautiful, like magical thing about women is their, their ability to create fucking life, man. And this yeah. has been a robbery of that. Yeah. It's, it's so fucking dark. Like it's crazy. Cause actually the, the biology of fertility, I mean the biology of the family as a whole, but the biology of female fertility is actually like so phenomenally beautiful. Even I think like we didn't properly celebrate it even before there was this attack sort of, you know, taking that away from women, which gender ideology is at a rapid rate right now with the sort of the, the trans women, like replacing women in public spaces. But, you know, like this is something I got into in my docuseries, Superorganism, you know, just looking at what, what really happens, what is going on when a woman is uh, pregnant. And there's all sorts of beautiful things happening. Like, for example, 
you know, I wanted to study how wisdom, human wisdom was passed on through the biological design of the family unit. Like one of the ways is that the, the field generated by the mom's heart and the states of consciousness she's in are programming the child. So the child is in there and the child is like in the field of the mom's heart. So if the, if the mom is in states of gratitude and states of meditation, this is rippling into the child's field and it's actually causing the child's heart to go into similar states. And then that happens as well when the child comes into the world. Um, there's all this subtle programming that's going on from the mom's consciousness into the child's consciousness. And that's like, you know, the first few years of life that's going on. And that's just one example of how certain forms of human wisdom are being passed on through the biology of the family unit. And that's like nonverbal abstract wisdom, right? Like if a mom is meditating a lot and she has like this, these higher states of consciousness, that's being given to the child's body. And so things like that are being lost when we talk about how there's no real difference in like, you know, trans women are women. Like, no, they can't do that. They can't, uh, they can't perform some of the incredible feats that women's bodies can. And that needs to be uplifted. And like, we have so much science. We have decades of amazing, beautiful science on what women's bodies do. And uh, it's not, it's not being honored at all. And, and this war on the family is super, super real. Um, have you guys ever heard of the Toronto protocols? No. So it's really interesting, actually. Like these documents kind of blew my mind. They're these uh, documents from these meetings that occurred between a group that called themselves the 666, who met in Toronto in the 60s and the 80s. And they outlined their warfare strategy on humanity and how they're going to implement the new world order. And they outlined the war on the family as like one of the primary things that they have to do to get the new world order in. It sounds like the Club of Rome a little bit. Dude, it's totally yeah. connected to all that. It's totally connected to all that. And it's like in, in great detail, the, the, the way they described their strategy was uh, the genocide of the vital for the benefit of the occult. And they nail down the war on women. They literally say, we're going to take feminism to its logical extreme so that we get women out of the house. Like they just, they, they lay it out. It's, it's right there. And so I go through that deeply in, in my superorganism series. So all of that was like wow, the foundation man. for my understanding. Moving into cut, doing that i was like oh i know a lot about fucking what they're doing here and i see so you know cut is meant for a broader audience but that's why i'm sort of leading people towards like hey is this warfare you think this might be warfare you know like that's what it's need to yeah a hundred percent man and and just how connected all this is to government too like this might be occult things these might be like these like these type of groups but like like I don't see a differentiation anymore between some of like the high level occultists and our government. And like, like people like Gloria Steinem, like she was a CIA agent. Right. And she was also like a biggest, most powerful feminist at the time. And she was the one that really did the big push for like women to go into the workplace and to like, fuck your kids. You don't need kids. Fuck a man. You don't need a man. Just you, what, what's really going to make you happy. We're going to fuck a 95. Don't fuck a tax cattle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's so fuck up, man. And like you were saying before is like, we, like we don't, we don't give women the reverence that they deserve too. I mean, there's something like in Western culture in general, because like you even said, even before we weren't giving women their due. uh, I think that has to do with a lot of like patriarchal ideas from like, Eh, like I am a Christian, but there is a lot of Christian, you know, uh, there's a lot of Abrahamic, 
baggage behind that where like women are supposed to be subservient we don't necessarily like i guess they worship mary but like it's not it's not the same as like really respect for the divine feminine as an equal to the divine masculine you know because it there really is something you know i'm I'm getting woo-woo with it but it's it's true and it's something so beautiful like i remember like when uh my first son's mom was pregnant i felt a change in myself like when I was with her and she's pregnant, like m- m- everything about me changed. Like yes. I became more kind, more empathic, but also way more protective. Like I felt like a lion and this was my pride. And yes. like it was just it was something so oh, different and spiritual. And like, yeah, I've studied that deeply. We, we should get into that for a second. OK, because this is actually super crazy. So the biology of fatherly devotion is a real thing. OK, so. They did these studies where they they found that uh, essentially a father who is devoted to the woman when she's pregnant, he becomes receptive to the woman's biofield as the pregnancy develops and she's experiencing these changes. It starts to cause hormonal fluctuations in the man. And the way this whole works, this is why I was so fascinated with the idea of the family's super organism. So if he's present and devoted to her throughout the pregnancy, He has specific changes. For example, there's a rise in prolactin. And so in this study, they found that these devoted fathers, they would get this increased amount of prolactin in their bodies so that after when the child was born, their bodies became more responsive to their baby's cries. And so it's like the mom's body is basically a bridge to create the relationship between the father and the child. And they also found that men who held their newborns the first time they held their newborns there was a 33 percent drop in their testosterone that created this emotional availability to the child changed the, the man's emotional landscape so that he was receptive to the child in that moment and it deepens their bond so literally like men who are devoted are actually getting their bodies reprogrammed by the woman's body whereas like men who are absent they're actually missing out on that and it is biologically going to make it harder for them to bond with their kid So there's so much going on there. And again, like we don't uplift that kind of knowledge in our culture, both in terms of how incredible it is that the mom's body is capable of reprogramming the man's, but also that men have devotion in their biology and that a devoted father is a transformed man in scientifically provable ways. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. It's yeah, it's real. And I felt it myself. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely life changing, um, and I and I feel it right now. I have got a little one. He's uh he's going to be eighteen months here pretty soon, and it, it's uh it's just, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Absolutely, I, I love being a father. It's I, it's, I got two boys that I just put yeah. to bed, and it's the best. It's amazing. I don't ever want a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and for some people, it's not. It's yeah, fine. that's fine. <laughs> Well, I'll, I mean, keep that, like, I'll keep that 33% on top. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we need uh, we need everyone fighting for the kids too, right? So you use yeah, that extra true, testosterone to defend the, the war on children. You know, it's wild because they're under attack. Like it's madness out there. But it's good for us to, I think, be having discussions that really identify the war. Like that to me is a big part of my mission. Helping people understand, number one, that we're in a war. Number two, what kind of war is this? You know, this modern type of warfare. And getting to know your fucking enemy and who the fuck they are. 
and That's their right. goals, man. What the fuck are their goals? Like you yeah. start like they're not I mean, sometimes they are explicit about their goals and they don't really cover it up because they kind of they kind of tell you what they're going to do. But like you can also just you can kind of see what the fuck they're doing by their actions. You can start seeing like because like you said, they're going to try to take this feminism to its like most logical or illogical conclusion, like where it's going to go. And you start to look at that and you're like, what are they like? So you're starting to see the repercussions of that. And you're like, this was planned. This was on purpose. This is exactly what they were trying to do. And it's, it's really dark. It's really twisted. And to me, it always goes back to like that club of Rome where that a uh, depopulation agenda, them deciding that there's just too many people here because like, that's what I see. It's like this whole transgender movement is it's about like getting you to decide to neuter yourself. Yes. Yes, exactly. These are influence operations, right? These are psychological operations designed to influence cognition, behaviors and actions. And they targeted the daughters of the West with these operations. They decided, OK, social media is one of the best ways that we can influence these girls if we saturate social media with gender ideology, um, you know, that's one of the best ways we're going to be able to access their cognition to create different behaviors that will lead to different actions. So this is like known forms of warfare um, that were very, very effective and um, it should be treated as warfare. And I think, you know, it's a gender ideology represents pretty sophisticated warfare because it's not just that they're trying to influence the girls. They're also trying to influence parents. Um, but at the same time, they're using things like politics to really, really muddy the waters, right? Because they try to make this into just nothing but like a left versus right or a straight versus gay issue. And, um, you know, one of the things that's really important to understand is that if the enemy can get you to hate people, then your cognition has been deeply affected. And so when people start to believe that uh, they need to like hate the left wing, that can modify their perception in a way where they're not able to reach people on the left because that's who we need to reach. Like this is primarily left-wing families that are, that are having their kids transitioned. So how do we reach people on the left to save those girls? Uh, and there's a lot of media and rhetoric that causes people to um, be programmed with hatred instead of effective action because we want situational awareness. Okay. And if we're going to have proper situational awareness, we have to realize that the enemy wants us to hate so that we can't see that the enemy is really influencing what's going on. You know, like if you follow someone like Billboard Chris, um, he uh, he's a dad from Canada who's just been touring North America, speaking out against this, saying kids can't consent to puberty blockers. There's no such thing as a trans kid. And you go and you look at his feed often and you have left wing people in support of him. And like a while back, he went and did a protest outside of Boston Children's Hospital. And the Boston Globe wrote this absurd hit piece trying to be like, this is more right wing extremism. And you go look at the comments to this Boston, uh, this Boston Globe article. And there's people who's like, I'm a lifelong Democrat. Like, fuck you for saying this. There's nothing political about being against mutilating children's bodies. Uh, left winger here. Fuck you, Boston Globe. I'm from the left. No, I don't agree. Like, just you stream through. There's tons of these. And so, you know, it's important for people to understand that left wing ideology was used to bring gender ideology into our society, uh, but it doesn't necessarily represent everyone, you know, on the left. And I think sometimes it's a subversion. That, 
it is subversion. Yeah. You know, very well, maybe because because it turns into a litmus test and then it turns into, well, you were never actually on the left. If if you've drifted so far, right, that you're not in support of this, then you might think you were a lifelong Democrat, but you were actually a secret Republican all along. You didn't you've been know a white it. supremacist this yeah, whole the, time. The whole time. <laughs> yeah. And you've just outed yourself because of this litmus test of yeah. a topic. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to me. I was uh, I was a hard I thought I was a leftist my entire life until uh, like, I guess it's getting close to a decade at this point. And then realizing that, uh, watching them go nuts. And I think the final straw for me was I was, I still am a free speech absolutist. And then watching them like attack free speech, I was like, what, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. I, we were, we were the free speech guys. What are we That's doing? Right. That's right. And, it really got infiltrated quite deeply. And I think, you know, free thought to me, I'm like, that's one of my biggest focuses is helping cultivate and protect free thinking, um, which is the ability to produce thoughts with logic, reason, and empiricism without relying on dogma, authority, or tradition. And that is like, that's like laser. That's, that's like a laser to me. You know, if we can do that, if we can protect free thinking, then uh, we can reach people uh, on the left who maybe don't really understand what's going on yet. And that's part of why I designed this film the way that I did. I wanted to remove religious perspectives, political perspectives, because when you look at the labiaplasty craze, that wasn't gender ideology, right? That was something outside of girls that are affected on the right and the left. Exactly. In the middle of the country. Yeah. On both coasts. It's everywhere. Yep. And so we need to see that the social engineering, while sometimes politics is used to install it, there are other subversive forms of social engineering that are running through different currents of our society. And if we get only focused on the political ones, we are actually availing the enemy to other forms of infiltration that are subversive through different channels. So if we remove that, political context to me then we can start these broader conversations of like oh shit how was there a labiaplasty craze and then a trans craze in the same group of girls like what is going on here yeah man yeah it's it's crazy man because i think about the like early 20th century and things like that like it's it's the same groups of people that were the progressives that were the eugenicists that were like pushing these sorts of things and they would take like you know like people that they would call unmentionables and they would forcefully, you know, like sterilize them and things like that. And they realized that that was very ugly and that there was pushback and eventually people didn't like that. And especially after a certain, you know, who with a specific mustache was doing things like that, uh, it got really ugly. And so they actually had to change the names of their organizations, but the organization stayed the same. Yeah. And uh, it's the same folks that are pushing the same shit now. I mean, it's their grandkids that are pushing this shit now, but it's it like it, it's literally you can trace back sometimes the blood lineage. Like, oh, yeah, a bill like uh, Bill Gates. His dad was the head of Planned Parenthood, you know, things like yes. that. Like it, it's the same motherfuckers that are doing this. And it's yeah. about the same thing. They want less people here. How do we do that? And so if you make this a political thing and you say this is like this is the most progressive thing you can do. And this is about like self-love and discovering yourself and you are becoming your truest self. And it just so happens that you are, that to me was the most tragic thing. There was that one girl in the video that you had that just said, I don't know if anyone's ever going to love me. I don't think anyone's ever going to love me because I've destroyed myself. I'm ruined. Yes. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude, like a pull at the heartstrings. Like, it was the, yeah. so gut It's devastating. 
Yeah, it's really devastating. I will say that she has, uh, I've been following her work since making the film. She's come a long way. She has started speaking out, trying to heal from this, trying to, she, she's just trying to turn her pain into purpose. And yeah. so, you know, when we look at this from a warfare perspective, the detransitioners are a really, really important part of this. Like, did you guys ever see that, that old Yuri Bezmenov interview from 1984, right? Where he's talking about, ideological subversion and how the, you know the goal of this communist infiltration into the west is going to be about slow ideological subversion generation by generation so that you get to this point where you have people who are so saturated ideologically that they can't even be told black is black and white is white right yeah. so he talks about this about how you get to people to the people extent that scoff they, at that idea of cultural marxism but it's fucking true man it's, it's right really there true but he says that there are these people who are going to be so ideologically, you know, captured that you won't be able to reach them. But what's interesting about the detransitioners is that they were an example of that to the extent that they went and got the double mastectomies. They went on the testosterone, they ruined their bodies, but they woke up from it. And they're now an exception to that rule. They now do see the black is black and white is white. So we have people who have emerged from mind control who are now speaking out about this. And so that's why I think from a warfare perspective, strategically uplifting the voices of detransitioners is really, really important because they, they blow a lot of this up and they give us the experience of come, waking up out of mind control quite literally. And uh, I think it's like, it's so important. Yeah. There was a one lady in there that was a, she was a, was she a counselor? Was she like a therapist? Uh, yeah. And she and she's still on the left. She still supports okay. LGBT and trans rights and everything. She worked. But, she worked with them. Yeah. And she's but she so I mean, I think that that's like a fantastic voice for that perspective, too. Like I, I had a young lady on here. She was awesome. Her name is Kay Fellows. Um, she is I can't remember the name of her organization, but she's just fantastic. It's progressives against abortion or something like that. That's the name of it. And she's as hard left socialist progressive as it gets. And she and her friends have an organization that's just like reaching out to the left and just anti-abortion. And so her voice is super powerful because like she has those progressive credentials, whatever those are, you yeah. know, and um, it, so it is very powerful when you get, like you said, the detransitioners and that that lady that like was like heading yeah, up Pamela. departments. Yeah. yeah, with, like, yeah. Those, with those young kids. Yeah, she's amazing. She calls herself the truthful therapist. People should definitely look her up and follow her work because she's actually put together resources for parents and families to navigate the therapy system so that you can find therapists who aren't indoctrinated who aren't going to use the gender affirmative model. Um, so she's offering lots of tools uh, through her work. Uh, actually, you know, uh, I've become like friends with her because I really, you know, admire what she's doing. And the fact that she was, she was immersed in it. She's working. She was at the head of a department with LGBTQ youth. And she just saw it. She saw what was going on. She, she woke up to it. And I think, yeah, it's like those voices are crucial. Like, yeah, it's good to have all these strong voices on the right who see through it. But man, those people on the left waking up like that, that's so, so uh, helpful. And I think when we can shake hands with people on the other side of the aisle, that fucks up their warfare so bad, fucks it up. And that's the what we thing want. that the enemy hates and fears the most is unity between yeah. like the bottom, the bottom class. Like us, if we, yeah. if we get together, 
and we start having conversations. Like, I think that was one of the biggest things in the shutdown was like, they didn't want people to get together. They didn't yeah. want people to like to, because if for one second we were like, we could get together in a bar and start talking about this. Like, do you know anybody that's sick? <laughs> Not really. Like, you know, we started having conversations. We would have fucking pushed back harder, but yep. they made us afraid of our neighbor. You didn't even talk to your neighbor. Like I remember in Australia, you would like get in trouble. You weren't even like supposed to like say hello to your neighbor. Maybe you could wave. Oh yeah. If you saw them outside, if you're checking the mail or something, it was the most Orwellian darkest. <laughs> and it, these people, like people are starting to wake up to that like halfway. Uh, and, but uh, man. Yeah. I mean, it these was crazy people here. are our enemy. They're the yeah. same people. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing. Like we need to look at who has been consistently manipulative. So like, if you go back to like, uh, you know, the Bush Cheney years and you look at the way the media was covering that administration, you see how the media maintains an agenda, no matter who's in office. Okay. They don't care if it's left wing or right wing. They have an agenda over a long period of time that is, you know, it's supposed to last generations, supposed to last decades. Like you said, with these family bloodlines who have warfare operations that are carried from generation to generation. And, uh, you know, MK Ultra whistleblower, Kathy O'Brien, she talks about this, how she was literally, she was in meetings where she heard them saying, okay, when they get sick of the Republicans, we'll put Bill Clinton in, we'll flip it so that we can keep the operations going, but keep the people appeased. Like she heard them talking about this overtly. Um, so, you know, that's really important for people to recognize that the enemy is apolitical. Um, even though the enemy has infiltrated the left in certain ways and forced a kind of extremism there, we're not really at war with the left. And if we fall into that trap, um, then we're submitting to a narrative that allows the enemy to manipulate us quite deeply. It's the uniparty. Yeah. It's the party that's in power, uh, that doesn't have a party affiliation, doesn't have a name. Uh, they might have a name for themselves. I don't know. You can call them the Illuminati if you want. It's just these, these groups of psychopaths that uh, they they literally manipulate us. And uh, and there's certain things that never change. Yes. Like it's Coke or Pepsi. And so you'll get a different flavor, kind of different like this. We're red and we have the stripes on us. We're Coca-Cola. Yeah. And, you know, and so we're more patriotic and we love our country. But we're still going to like do mass incarceration. We're still gonna we're gonna pretend we love guns, and then under Donald Trump, we're gonna take your bump stocks, bump stocks, and like push red flag laws and things like that. So you're you're always gonna get this like it doesn't matter who's who it is. And then the Democrats are more uh, well, we love LGBT this and that and the other, but we're gonna keep the wars going, yeah. you know. And it's just it's always the same thing. You just get a slightly different flavor, a slightly different aesthetic, but the things that are important to them never change. Yeah, you know, it's interesting talking about these these bloodlines and how they maintain these long-term warfare operations. It's funny because it's actually, it says a lot about the warfare they're waging on the family right now. Okay, so uh, in the Toronto Protocols, one of the things they state is that they, they want to destroy the family unit because they're trying to stop the movement of knowledge and wisdom through the generations. So, you know, they understand that the family is a container for wisdom. The family gathers wisdom and knowledge and it passes it through the generations. They understand that so well that, number one, they're targeting our families to make sure that we don't preserve the integrity of information and cast it into future generations. Number two, they make sure as hell that they have that for their family line. 
they protect their family line's capacity to move their knowledge and their mission through the generations. So we need to be doing what they're doing. You know, we need to be building strong families that build and retain wisdom through the generations. And you, you can see the trans ideology and what's happening here. It's been very effective at blowing that up. You know, a lot of these girls, they left their families. They ditched their parents because they wouldn't affirm them. Uh, and they run away. You know, it's like, uh, like the girl, the one case that's in my film. Um, that's the last being, one. Yeah, that's being fought yeah. by the Gavel Project. You know, she ran away and then she was trafficked. And that gets into a whole deeper thing too, because, you know, it turns out that trans kids, they go for more money in the sex trafficking industry, that there is some sort of weird desire to get a hold of trans kids. And uh, to me, that just reeks of Satanism and, and all sorts of weird stuff in that realm. But that's something else to recognize that, like, you know, why, why in the child sex trafficking industry is there a desire to procure trans kids? And if we recognize the fact that there are people in you know, places of power right now who support the child sex trafficking industry, you know, government officials, people in the top of big corporations, uh, then it becomes even shadier that they're trying to actually increase the number of trans kids in the population while there's like a big problem with child sex trafficking. Uh, you know, that all seems like coordinated efforts to me. Yeah, man. Fucking dark. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, Dude, that's rough. I, I didn't know that that there was a. You laugh so you don't cry. That there was a that yeah. there's a higher demand for trans kids. That's and yeah, and like you said, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, these same people, they're the ones that are really pushing this. And yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's it's a lot to to cope with emotionally. And I think like you know, I had to go through just a lot of emotional waves making this film and getting into the depths of this, like it, it was pretty fucking ugly. Um, it took me, you know, that's, it took me a good like six, seven months to put all this together. Um, but then again, by the end of it, like, you know, I was a bit desensitized because I was like, whatever, I'll pull up the most gruesome shit. I'll get the footage of the double mastectomies. I don't care. I can want to show people all of it. Uh, and it was funny when I was sharing the film privately with some people, you know, I had one friend say like, yo, you can't put, the double mastectomy footage in in the film like it's too much people aren't going to watch they're going to turn the film off right away you know i think it's too traumatic and then uh then i had uh, uh one of the detransitioners watch it and uh, the concern was that it's going to traumatize detransitioners the opposite was true she was like fuck yeah put it in make an r-rated version i want people to see what they did to me like you know some of these these girls are like they're badass at this point They've been through the shit. They're like ready to go. They are filled with purpose. And like, you know, I really admired it. I got to say, I was like, holy shit, the, the D-trans people are fighting to put the gruesome footage in because um, they're, you know, they're real with it and they want people to understand. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And uh, you were saying that a little bit earlier that you were, you're considering having two versions. And yeah. I think that that is a, really brilliant idea man because i do think that it is important for some people to see exactly what it is you know i mean that's one of those things that they they try to fight sometimes because they don't want you to see what it is like uh like well why specifically like progressives and things will fight to the nail 
for uh, to for people to not see what an abortion actually is, what an abortion yeah. actually looks like. Because yeah. if you because everyone knows kind of what it is. Right. But you can you can talk to yourself into something like it's just a clump of cells. It's not alive. It's not a baby. It's not this or that. I know, I know your film wasn't about abortion, but I'm just mentioning this part. No, it's similar they, language, man. They yeah. changed the language around it. Right. And it's it, to me, it's the same thing care? as far as the depopulation thing. Yeah. Um, it's part why of that. Because it's sterilizing it so these hard. Kids. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and so they, they don't want you to see it because for one second, you actually get your eyes on one of these fetuses. You look at it and go, that thing has hands. It has a face. I, yeah. I can see its eyes it has a nose, it has a mouth. What the, what the fuck is that? That's a clump of cells. Cause holy shit, that looks kind of like a little human. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and so I think that, yeah, some people, I think, maybe do need to see that surgery for them to go like, Oh, this is what we're doing to our young women. This is what's going to happen to my daughter. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. You know? And I think that I, I want to think that at least some conservatives are starting to wake up in this, in the one fact of like, maybe you need to keep your kids out of government indoctrination camps. Maybe it's time to homeschool your kids because, yeah. and maybe, don't have a smartphone for them. Maybe have a house computer that is in the living room That's that right. they can do their homework on, but it's accessible to everyone and it's in the living room. So they can't, you know, go too far down the rabbit hole, you know, into these Ex dark Except places. for those school issued uh, devices that they're going to have and be required to use. Oh, yeah. And maybe in Commie Canada, not in Oregon, luckily. Yeah, I mean, we 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 were homeschooling our kids from day one. We were never going to go near the public system ever, uh, you know. So that's been our grind from the beginning, and we're fortunate that there's a pretty good homeschool community here in Toronto. So we've got that's like a awesome. decent network of people. The kids, you know, have lots of great friendships and stuff. I never know about certain places because, like in Germany, I think homeschooling is illegal. And places mm. like that is there's like places that are just and in California, they make it hard. They don't want you to homeschool, you know, and there's there's just some progressive areas that they want more time with your kid. I mean, and that's that's even what like Joe Biden has like been really talking about lately. He's like, well, I don't think how, like 12 years is enough with your kid. I think we need 15. We're going to mm -hmm. start taking your kid at like two and start doing pre preschool. Yeah, I mean, on a on a technical level, this is yeah. kind of the origins of Ruby Ridge too. I mean, Randy Weaver essentially didn't want to send his kids to a society, right? And that was that was one of the main reasons for uh, going out and secluding yourself from society. And they got him there. You know, it's interesting because the I did a one of the seasons of my show Worlds Within. I did a deep dive into the origins of the public schooling system. And this is another thing where you can see the flip-flopping between like right-wing and left-wing things. Because when they when they first built the school systems, uh, you know, for them it was they were trying to use nationalism and like national pride to create mindless soldiers that would go to war. You know, so that in that sense, at that time, they wanted to use national identities for a specific purpose. Now where we're at in history, they want to blow up all forms of national pride relating to your country and all those things. But you can see how they'll flip it at different points in history. They'll flip it according to what operation they're working on, what they're really trying to get out of the people. And this is where it's like they will manipulate your cognition towards a specific end. And you have to be able to step back and see the broader picture, 
you know, you literally have to theorize about conspiracies. Like you actually have to, to survive what's going on. And I've always said this, that it's like, we're living on this planet where they've tried to make the act of theorizing about conspiracies a thought crime. And there's nothing to me that shows that you have an actual problem with real conspiracies than it being so taboo to just theorize about them. That that's like a bad word. Look, of course you should fucking theorize about conspiracies. We have a major problem with powerful people conspiring to oppress us. Shit, you know, like they did a good job at making that term seem like a bad thing when the literal fact of it is just like it's a proper exercise you should engage in responsibly. I mean, on, on talking about conspiracies, uh, I would be easier convinced that it's not about sterilization and population control, but it's about kind of ushering in the acceptance of transhumanism. Because if you make it mm -hmm. first, you're a bigot because I wanted to identify this way. Well, now you're a, just as much of a bigot if I want to put a chip inside my head. How oh, dare yeah. you if I identify as a cybernetic you know, being or... Like what's what's the difference between that and a cosmetic? This might actually oh, yeah. provide function instead of just form. So that's gonna divert to where maybe now you know the teachers are. Hey, I think little Johnny might need a chip if he wants to keep ahead with the rest of the class because everyone else has got the chips, and you don't want little Johnny to fall behind and not keep up with everyone, right? Absolutely, the transhumanism is definitely the endpoint. You can see that with. The World Economic Forum's push and like Klaus Schwab's wet dreams that he's always writing about. He's all about merging humans and technology and the biomedical security state. You have that um, that thing that came out recently about, you know, growing human babies in pods in the big factory, uh, you know, trying to replace motherhood, trying to say that they've they've they found a way to perfectly uh, imitate motherhood with these pods. And again, if you look at the real science of motherhood, that's fucking bullshit. The magic of what a female body is doing cannot be touched by these pods where they're playing Apple music into the pod to try and like, you know, they to don't try want to that say human connection. They don't know like the woman's vibration, like the woman uh, it's they want to mimic it. They want they want yeah. your baby to grow up connected to the hive. So yeah. do you guys believe yeah. either and it's open dark. question, either of you? But is there um, is is it possible at any level that that could all be simulated through vibrations and frequencies and chemical interactions and, you know, releasing hormones at the right time all the way down to like you were saying, when like the, the father gets uh, connected to the, the mother when she's pregnant? Could that not all be artificially simulated so that it evokes the same response? Or do you guys think that there's some kind of divine spark that science can't detect that's really driving all of this? Well, I think in one sense, we are kind of like on path to like, we are supposed to learn how to work with nature more and more deeply. I think we're doing it in the darkest possible way, but it's like, if, if this wasn't filled with this sick agenda, you know, it would be good to an extent that we are learning to mimic some of these things because like, let's be real, we're struggling with this crash in our ability to make babies okay like the ability for humans to make babies is plummeting like fertility is on its way down we very well might arrive at a point where we need that technology where we need to know how to I produce would say hegelian dialectic man they cause that problem and they're like yeah solution? true <laughs> absolutely absolutely because the but third world isn't having problem making babies 
It's only here in this westernized world where they give us fucking plastics and all these like and these fucking SSRIs and all this social media and all this like propagation of in the fucking the shit they put in our water. Like Absolutely. the estrogen, like, oh, Jesus These, these problem solution cycles are definitely yeah. in place. But then if you look like what I'm saying is if you had a culture that worshipped that incredible dynamic and that that was what our technological explorations were born of, then yeah, we might try to make beautiful technology where we could do things like that. But because it's born out of this transhumanist culture, it's ugly as fuck and it's filled with these dirty agendas. Um, so, you know, to me, it's like, maybe it would be possible if our culture worshiped these things and our, our desire to explore technology was born naturally of that but we know that it's not right now. So I don't know. I guess it depends. Like to what extent do we win this war and begin to develop culture that honors the human form more deeply? And if the momentum of this agenda to stop us from being able to make babies, if that agenda is going to carry a few generations into the future, right? Like there might be some of it that we just like can't stop because like the, the number of ways that they have reduced sperm and all these things. Let's say, for example, that stretches a few generations into the future, but we actually managed to win the culture war and get the family worshipped again. I don't know. Maybe it becomes infused with some of those things and we find find ways. I, I guess I'm not like totally convinced that that's impossible. I, I think that's a beautiful vision that you just had. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right that our culture definitely does not venerate, you know, that in the right way. And so whatever we create, because we are like in a, you know, we're, we're building off like a, a shitty foundation. It's going to be like, it's going to be fucking bad. It's not going to be, uh, but man, I, I just, I want that so much. Like, and I, I think that there is some, like, there's going to be some hard time convincing, like, uh, your right wing kind of Christiany kind of folks, because they're going to see this as like paganistic. They're going to see this as like, like worshiping, you know, um, something, but man, worship, we, as humans, we are created to worship. We are like, we worship. And in the absence of God, we find all other different th types of things to worship. Like that's where scientism comes in and all these different, like politics becomes our God and, and the state becomes our God. And there's just something so beautiful about that, that being God, just like, and it, and so it can be, I, man, I, I almost want to change the wording so we could like convince like right-wing Christians that this is the way to go. It's like, we need to venerate and like respect what God did, his, his creation, his plan that he, that he made the, like your sperm, this egg, this man, this woman, this child born, like it's something so fucking special. Yes. It's magnificent from all these perspectives. You know, there was years ago, I came across some sort of like interview. It was supposed to be an interview with an extraterrestrial. And uh, I think it was like a transcript or something. Um, I don't remember what the source was, but there was this really interesting moment in the interview when they were asking this being about uh, technology and spirituality and their civilization. And the being's answer, like it was initially kind of confusing because they don't separate those things is mm. basically what it ended up saying. That spirituality and technology are the same thing. They never made them two things. So their technology and spirituality were always evolving together. So when they made something technolog technological, it was just born out of their spiritual experience of the universe. And you think of the way that we've separated, and it's like, maybe we've made that hard to do. 
But, you know, that is a path as well to consider for humanity. Like, what if they were just merged and we hadn't deconstructed them? Well, I think that there's too much. Uh, we, we've had a friend on here, uh, shout out to Dave, uh, that he has created sort of like an anti-grab device. And like he like he's been he had he's been on a few different shows and he like discussed it and he kind of went into some of the technical de details like he doesn't give everything away. But like, it, but like on our show, like Thomas was really like talking to him about this stuff too. Got some interesting stuff because we we kind of got more of the spiritual angle on it, and just how he was describing how you have to, Thomas, you remember any of this? Like, um, you have to like, he he says you can't be holding on to anything. You have to like literally mm -hmm. forgive, and be like at a place of like spiritual enlightenment to make this work. Yes, and I've it's, heard about this. It's so fucking fascinating, so yeah. neat that, like, to me, like, I think that the people that are in charge of this realm, whatever the fuck we're in, have occulted so much of that technology for themselves, and they don't want us to have it. They they want us to be fighting. They want us to, they, like, they want us fighting over gizmos and gadgets and, like, hey, I've got a vibrator that I can... But, in my panties and I can remote control it or something like that's the kind of technology they want us to have. Like they yeah. don't want us to like, to know our true potential. They don't want us to have a spiritual connection to like uh, these advancements and things. It's, I don't know, man, it's, I'm not the smartest guy. I don't understand it all, but I find it fascinating as hell. I wonder how much of a spiritual connection though, like John D Rockefeller had with his kids, right? Like, it's not like they, they have the secret and then they employ the secret. Like those dudes are still just, <laughs> at the office all night and you know they have the yeah. maid you know tend to all of that woman stuff so e even if you're at the top of the game i think that it's probably even a tinier minority and it's not just the club of rome guys and the mm. ones that are handing out the shots but it's do someone you think else he had opened up his third eye do you think he was uh i think he probably paid someone to do it for him yeah okay <laughs> yeah i mean they, they, these people are into the worship of the self on very yeah. deep levels so that's like where they're taking it like they they worship themselves so deeply and put themselves in power over so many people that that's sort of, I think, how they get off spiritually. But I think the trap is that it's never, ever enough. It's so much power that it's never enough. And it becomes this kind of addictive loop where they end up being unable to break that cycle of needing more and more power and more and more self-worship. And so that's why you, you end up with these like maniacal people who are running these crazy agendas because they're actually kind of trapped in it as well. There's nowhere to go, right? There's no proper endpoint to that spiritual path as far as i understand it so i think that's part of the struggle too and i think it's also why these people you know there's to the extent they they maintain their family lines and their missions at the same time a lot of them would turn on each other in a like the drop of a hat they would sacrifice each other if it became necessary they would sacrifice their children they would sacrifice whatever's necessary and I think they do they do of course yeah. they sacrifice their children no doubt you know you, you, if you're a child that got to adulthood from one of those families you're lucky because probably a couple kids before you got thrown, you know, into the, the ritual sacrifice and you're the one that they decided yeah. to actually raise all the way. Yeah. Usually that means that you're the run because you know, the, the gods wanted the good sons. They wanted like the ones that were proof of the, the bountiful, you know, mm -hmm. givings of God. So if you did survive, it was because you were, you wouldn't have been seen as like the best sacrifice. <laughs> That's a, that's a hard which is actually good right it's kind of good to like be born with the one ex extra finger or the one missing finger <laughs> yeah yeah you're gonna be protected that's right you don't want to be born like the pure innocent beautiful one 
I wanted to ask too, Simon, because you mentioned Kathy O'Brien. So I have, I assume that that you have more than just a precursory knowledge of MK Ultra. You probably go a little bit deep into like oh, yeah. Monarch. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you were talking about the mother's heart programming the child, the first thing I thought of was uh, Spritz, um, Fritz Springmeier's Illuminati mind control slave, where they talk mm-hmm. about the way that you program a, a true Monarch mind control child from birth is that you start the uh, the sort of trauma while it's in that exact state that you were mentioning. So instead of that heart programming, and I I assume that the way you were kind of getting at it is that the mother's basically saying, here's what happens when adrenaline comes into the system. Here's how you can calmly, you know, through my heartbeat, I'm calmly processing this adrenaline and turning it into adrenalutin and adrenochrome, whatever. And I'm, you know, expelling it from my body, like any natural toxin versus, oh my God, I'm freaking out. You know, my adrenaline is then creating even more adrenaline, which is almost like a, like an artificial SSRI or, or like a, a serot- you know, adrenaline reuptake inhibitor. And then that's programming the child to be like, oh, whenever I sense a little bit of adrenaline, amplify it, you know, like perpetuate yep. it. So yep. is, is, have you kind of crossed any of those MK ultra slash project monarch paths in some of your research here? Yeah, absolutely. So the war on the family, uh, I got into some of that in my research. Actually, some of that research is stuff I haven't put together into a film yet. I couldn't fit it into my docuseries on the war on the family because it was its own sort of huge scope. But it is really interesting. It's what you're talking about, but over about three generations. So the Nazis were doing these experiments. um, uh, And what they found was that um, if you take children and you abuse them, especially before the age of three, you create this specific access to mind control. But if you do it three generations in a row, there's something that becomes autogenic, that's automatic. So you start to produce children that are more easily programmable, that are actually perfect mind control slaves. So the Nazis were performing all these experiments on multi-generational abuse. They wanted families that had childhood abuse and pedophilia for at least three generations. And then they wanted those kids. And those were the kids they went after because it created this autogenic effect where there was uh, the systems functioning that they wanted for mind control were in the genetics of that family line. Then that got imported into America. And so, you know, the, the war on, on the family is part of MK ultra and all this because then they started to try to produce that here in America. And that's something that Kathy O'Brien identified was that she was picked because there was generations of child abuse in her family. So she actually had the genetics that they wanted for that program. And it's one of the reasons she was programmable. So it's exactly what you're talking about. Three families in a row, three generations in a row. They know the genetics of it. They know all of that. Another one of the interesting sort of tangents you can go on that is that the, um that generational, I guess I'll call it a skill. It's not really a skill, but like that, that, that mind control gene, it's not only desirable because it can create these mind control slaves or whatever, which is sort of the, the Hollywood MK ultra version, but there might also be some kind of biological advantage to having those genetics so that you might actually want to incorporate those genetics into your own familial line, into your own DNA, because people that, that can go into those States in and out, are perhaps more resistant to things like cancer and other sort of um, you know health issues. Uh, they can mm-hmm. a- avoid massive plagues and these these big pandemics that come through. Typically, people that are more prone to schizophrenia and being able to recover from schizophrenia 
are less susceptible to those kind of things. So there might even be a reason why it's not just being harvested to make slaves and make mind control mm -hmm. dummies, but like they want to, you know, create it and harvest it and then in integrate it into their own family line just to reap the benefit. Like their family doesn't right. have to go through all that trauma. They can yeah. just sort of harvest all of it. Even towards like super soldier stuff, like, uh, you know, and, and some of those things, like I know, you know, they found that in, uh, in the, the, the different altars that they can make in these personalities or in these people, so, you know, when they fracture them, you can have one altar that has a particular ailment, like they have a vision problem, and then the other altar has perfect 2020 vision. And so, yeah, you could absolutely use that to then heal from certain things and make people more resilient to disease because you recognize that the, the body creates disease within its sense of its identity and the way that that identity copes with reality. So when you can manipulate that, yeah, you could absolutely then take an understanding of those forms of resilience, then put that wherever you want with as far as, you know, what it seems to be these people are doing. They've been doing this for how, I, who knows how fucking long, right? Um, so how it's so we keep saying it? they, but are we talking about just like Rockefeller Foundation and Club of Rome and, and you know, general, or is there like if you had a point of finger and said, hey, we're all going to get together and, and just like grab our pitchforks and pick it outside this building, what building would that be? I don't or is know. it just too spread out? I, th I think that, that probably the, the people who are most responsible are people that we would have never even fucking heard of. They probably want names like Rockefeller out there. They want people to be the face of it while they are capable of doing, uh, you know, a lot more in the background. I think that's much more advantageous so that, you know, when you have like old man Rockefeller and like Klaus Schwab and all these people being the face of this. In my opinion, there's probably names where if we heard it, we'd be like, "Who the fuck is that?" And they're, you know. I'd like, I'd love to end this on an even darker note, since I'm, I'm not an eternal optimist. If anything, I'm sort of an eternal pessimist. So I, I feel like I understand the optimism. I understand wanting to get this to the next stage, but I guess I fear that it, it goes darker from here because right now it's about us programming our humans, programming humans. But right now, what humans are also doing is programming AI which is learning what we what it thinks our ideals are and starts reflecting those ideals to the point where right now it might be, I want to modify myself for the outside world to see me in a different way. But in the very near future, it's just like, well, everyone's just going to put on AR glasses and they'll see me however they want to see me. But then no one's ever going to live up to any expectations. And at that point, it's going to be AI putting it on top of us that you're going to put on the glasses and it's going to i'm going to look at nate and it's gonna be like whoa what, what the hell is that face you know let's move those eyes around a little bit let's shrink that nose down a little bit okay this is what nate should look like uh and at that point it's not even like humans have intervention because we've already taught them what kind of aesthetics in general you know we would rather see through the use of the most popular filters and what things get the most like all of those things and all of these ai image algorithms that are training they're not training it on you know ugly sort of like family get-togethers in the back right they're training it on hollywood photos and getty images and um you know screenshots from every movie that's ever been out there so at a certain point ai is going to expect everyone to look more or less like a movie star right and uh it might just reject you from for not meeting up to that standard but but i think the silver lining here is that that pendulum might swing the other way to where everyone gets so sick of everything looking like just perfect gestalt and everything having just the absolute pristine aesthetic where it's like, hey, you know, 
like people that go to the store and they're like, I want the ugliest tomato because I think it's going to taste the best. Right. Or I'm going to get that, that weird looking potato <laughs> over there. Cause it probably has a little bit of extra flavor. So I think that that pendulum might swing that way, but I, I do feel like we might lose control of it at a certain point. Cause we're, we're teaching a non-human entity what our preferences are on a very massive level. And it's just going to turn into a nasty mirror. That's like burning us with a red hot laser almost. Yeah, I saw an article recently. It was actually it was written by one of these publications that's that's parents who have uh, basically lost their children to to transgenderism, and they they write they write about their experiences. They have a Substack, but one of the ones that they put out the other day was uh, they they were having a, a conversation with one of these AI chats and uh, just feeding it different things, and so when they would use the word gender then it would start spewing out like all the gender ideology stuff. And, you know, a woman is only someone who identifies as a woman. But then when they would have the same question and use the word sex, then it would bias towards just like the sexual differences. And it really just, it depended on which language you fed it, it would grab that ideology and play around with it. So we can see it's true. Like that technology is, it's like a little kid. Well, unfortunately, that technology comes directly from academia um, yeah. here in our country, but also from China. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, academia has been lost to if, if we're going to just keep saying they, yep. they have owned academia for yep. longer than they've owned almost anything for a while. I mean, it's kind of where we started here was on the loss of public education and where it originally started, ironically, in this country, at least, were like local churches. That's where you would send everyone in the, the town would send their kids to the church. And it didn't matter if you were in kindergarten or first grade or fifth grade, you were just learning stuff with all the other kids in the village at that church at that point. And that's when the standardization came. And then now all of a sudden, even though you're only one year away from your neighbors, you don't get to be in class with them because they're one way, you know, one year away from you. And that kind of like starts that division over time. You know, I think that the, if we look at the way that the whole COVID narrative unfolded and the way it affected everyone, it woke a lot of people up. Like it actually did a good job at that. I, I had people around me who never ever would have theorized about a single conspiracy in their lives. And the conditions of it have helped a lot of people understand what's going on. So it's like you said that there's a kind of, there's a pendulum. So it's, it's possible that the intensity of this, all of this going on and the warfare being waged. Um, I think it, it also has the potential of having the opposite effect of what they're seeking. If we can do this correctly it, we can use it to wake more people up. That's really what I'm trying to do with this film is, is to take the darkness and the madness of what's going on and to position it in a way where it's, it's something that can be broadly accepted by people on both sides of the aisle and people from all different walks of life. They can consume what's, what I'm showing and they can be affected emotionally by it and it can support their awakening without it being uh, something that has the opposite effect, which sometimes this happens, right? If you, you know, when you red pill someone too hard and you send them back in the other direction, right? They actually entrench themselves deeper into their, uh, you know, their uh, warped perception of the world. So we have to be strategic. We have to like understand these deep, dark elements of this conspiracy and also be able to present it according to where people are at, depending on who we're talking to. You know, it's like, with you guys on this show, I can go very, very deep into all of this. There are other interviews that I'm going to do to promote this film, or I'm going to be more strategic and I'm going to be presenting elements of it that I think are going to speak to that audience. And to me, that's warfare. That's acknowledging that we're in a fifth generation 
war, right? Fifth generation warfare is something that everyone should learn about. And so, if you're on one of those shows and there's some pushback, let's let's say a co-host is like, "Oh God, this guy, you know, he's a right winger. Clearly, he doesn't want to admit it, but he's, you know, he's Trump 2024." Uh, Like, what what kind of? I mean, logical fallacy. They basically just try to, you know, paint you as a little bit of a straw man and and throw a little bit of like non, you know, they're basically trying to throw you off your balance. How do you react to that? Or if you were in like a public setting doing a book signing and you got someone that's you know, this guy isn't, you know, he's a, he's a right winger. They're just pushing right wing propaganda. How do you neutralize yourself in that case? Well, let's say if we're, if we're dealing with the, the gender ideology element of it, right. Let's say if someone, right. they're trying to, they're trying to say I'm a right transphobic right wing person. Correct. So yeah. then my question is, you know, is the United Kingdom, uh, is the NHS in the United Kingdom transphobic, that entire organization, because they reverse gender affirmative care entirely. In fact, they reverse gender affirmative care based on the fact that they were copying the American model, they found out that it had no evidence to back it and that it was deeply harming girls, and they restructured their entire medical approach to gender dysphoria. So did Norway, so did Sweden. Um, So we have entire nations now who uh, have tried gender affirmative care as it's being tried in Canada and America, and based on the evidence, they changed their mind. So how does England differ from the states currently? So they went down that path. They had in eight years, they had a 4,000% increase in girls seeking gender affirmative care. And they had so many lawsuits piling up against the NHS and the Tavistock Institute. So the Tavistock Institute's gender clinic is what was uh, pushing all this over there. They had lawsuits piling up. They actually had doctors quitting in droves saying that like this, this model is just hurting girls. None of it makes sense. So what happened was a woman named Hillary Cass, she did a review of the whole Tavistock Institute's gender affirmative clinic uh, and basically found that there was nothing to back up, uh, not even just like the puberty blockers and the testosterone, the double mastectomies, even socially transitioning. The conclusion they came to was that Socially transitioning a child is a severe psychosocial act that can have long-term damage and should not be performed on children. So even even the the social transitioning has been ditched there. And again, that's the same in Norway. That's the same in Sweden. Um, I would you know I would also even cite even though I'm here in Toronto and Canada and it's it's so gender ideology has totally saturated my nation, unfortunately, but. One of the best studies in the world came out of Toronto. They followed gender dysphoric children, some as young as three. Uh, This study took 34 years. And when they followed up with these people who were gender dysphoric as children, almost 90% of them desisted and no longer had gender dysphoria once they were adults. So I would say- When you say as young as three, are we talking about people that can't even fully verbalize yet? How, How do you even identify- someone that can't verbalize themselves as being part of that community. So actually the, the, the decades of research on gender dysphoria, they, they used to show that the majority of gender dysphoria did show up in preschool age boys. And what it would be was like, they would actually have like severe, like uh, they would be against their physical bodies. They would actually have problems with their genitalia. They'd be against it. They would, they would be very emotionally upset, uh, about the body that they were in. 
They would very strongly want to like wear dresses and things like this. And this is before there was any gender ideology in our society. So this was young boys who were like this very small, small, small amount. It was a very rare condition, but it existed. And this so is, it's a social condition, isn't is it not? Or is it like no, a medical this was like thing? an actual mental illness, very rare mental illness known as. But wouldn't it take societal programming to even tell you that addresses for this and and genes are for this? Well, I think the way they noticed it was really uh, the genitalia was one of the, the big things was the way these young boys would relate to their genitalia. They, they had a mental illness. They had a condition. And some of it would be related to uh, possible genetics or things that happened in the womb. Some of it, you know, of course, there's always the nature versus nurture argument. But I think why it's so important for us to know about this is that where you had a small, small, small number of boys with a mental illness that they had at a very young age, it has flipped. And now the majority is adolescent girls with no previous history of gender dysphoria at all at any point in their lives. And so it even goes against the decades of science they already had on this. There was no studies, there was no science on girls with gender dysphoria before 2012. This is a brand new phenomenon. So, um, you know, they've been studying gender dysphoria. What they really find, you know, the 90% of them that desisted in that study coming out of Toronto, 80% of them were just gay. So a lot of this was just, it's boys who turn out to be gay men who are just struggling with that. They're not actually trans. They just end up being gay men in the end. And that's why you have groups like Gays Against Groomers who are fighting against this because from their perspective, you're actually taking all these people that would just become gay and lesbian adults and you're transing them. So to them, they're like, this is super homophobic. What the fuck is this? They're against it. A lot of them are against it. Like a huge portion of that community is against it. So, you know, there's when you get into to, to the nuances of the actual science, then people can't even maintain the like you're a right wing transphobe. And, you know, it doesn't hold up because when you actually if you have a chance to discuss this with them, um, I don't think they would have given you that much time to no. explain yourself, yeah. to, be, Probably not. to be honest. <laughs> you know, one fascinating thing, because I, I live out here in Portland, and uh, there's a lot of LGBT trans stuff going on out here for sure. Um, but talking to lesbians, it's a really interesting conversation. Uh, they see this as an eradication of lesbianism. Yep, like, there's no lesbians anymore. They're all, they're all NB or transgender or this or that, like, lesbians are the most endangered species in the lgbtq community yeah um, that's right because this is mostly girls that's right it's erasing lesbians it absolutely is so again this is why it's false it's a false narrative that this is gay versus straight and this is right-wing people who are anti-lgbt no no that's nonsense there's there's tons of people in in the gay community there's even trans people who are against this you have like uh people like buck angel blair white these are they identify as transsexual, not transgender, because they don't support gender ideology. But they're people who had actual clinical gender dysphoria, who as adults eventually decided to take different steps, not because they wanted to be, uh, not because they're disillusioned. They don't believe that they are the opposite sex. They're aware and honest with the fact that they are biologically not a new sex. But they wanted to fit in. They want to pass. So this is what they're saying. There's a difference to them between transsexuals and transgenders. Like transsexual people, they're people with gender dysphoria who as adults, they change because they want to fit in. They don't want people to know. You know, they don't want it to be announced. 
Whereas now with transgenderism, you just have like dudes with beards who put on a wig and they then walk into the change room of the YMCA and look at little girls. Like it's not the same thing at all. So, you know, you can get people from all walks of life, all different ideologies. And the compulsory, the compulsory nature of them, you have to respect my identity. Yeah. Which is yeah. totally new, totally bizarre. Like, uh, like this whole respect my pronouns. And if you get it wrong, I'm going to freak out and I'm going to call you a transphobe. I'm going to attack you instead of it just being like, I'm myself. This yep. is me. Yep, you know, exactly. and, uh, yeah. Well, it's like, you it's, know, the teacher, the teacher with the giant breasts, the shop teacher, the huge breasts, right? With the prosthetic. Was that not a parody, though? Was that? Because okay, I've, no. I've heard so many takes on that. I know. Let me get into the weeds of this because that's my high school. I went to that high school. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. We should have wow. okay. led with that, honestly. <laughs> it's, okay. So here's the thing because I've been following that story closely because I was like, holy fuck, what the fuck is happening at my school? <laughs> that was my gym teacher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, the, I know there were the theories that this guy was like doing some sort of ultimate troll, but there's a couple reasons why I don't think that's what's going on. Number one, this guy was seen at a children's dance recital. Uh, he does not have children. So he was at the children's dance recital in his, you know, giant prosthetic breasts and his wig and all that. Concerned parents had him kicked out because they were like, why are you here? You're, you're not connected. We want you out. So number one, there's that. So to me, that's like, okay, well, is this guy a pedophile? Number two, he got caught out in public just dressed as a dude when he wasn't teaching. They have photos of him. The New York Post did a whole expose on this. He got busted, basically. He's not doing it all the time, right? He's doing it. If he's doing it more for the children, then he probably has a condition known as autogynephilia, okay? Mm. Which is men who are turned on by dressing as women. So there's that. But then, so that comes out. All this stuff comes out. What does he do? He goes in an interview and he says, my breasts are real. They're real. It's just a result of me taking hormones. So when you put all those things together, I'm like, no, this guy's just actually mentally ill and it has autogynephilia and is potentially a pedophile. That's what it looks like to me. Because at this point, I'm like, that's too messy of a troll. Once you're in all those weird weeds, you're like, well, what is the troll? Maybe, here? although for Andy Kaufman, a lot of people said he's <laughs> mentally ill and he's actually he's the, hurting women, right? The Andy Kaufman of of uh, of transgender trolling. I'm, I mean, the the <laughs> fact of of getting caught out in public without it almost lends a little bit of credit to the ultimate. Like, like, what if you were so much of a troll that you didn't even need to take credit for being the troll? Just doing the troll itself gave you all of. The, the dopamine that you ever really needed from it. Well, it's it true, seems no like out. it would be the perfect. I mean, he would have no out, right? At this point, how do you ever... Because now he's messing with Canadian, fundamental Canadian laws and shit, right? Like, well, you know, well, I mean, I guess if he moved to the States and said, yeah, I was just trolling him the whole time, he'd probably get a show <laughs> on a talk show. Yeah, he might. He might. So, I don't know. That's where it's at now. He's now doubling down, saying, my breasts are real. All that's real. I don't, but I don't, that, that to me, I mean, that is of course physically impossible. You don't, there's no amount of hormones you could take to get size Z breasts in one summer. Cause remember he was dressed as a male Wait, once. But, and then it was but if we look at those through that, that transhumanist lens though, uh -huh. those are just, even though they're artificial, you know, appendages, mm -hmm. it's no more artificial and, and, and not to get all like uh, Cartesian here, but the same <laughs> way that a blind man with a cane, right? 
they like they don't know the difference and if you can hit that cane against something and the cane vibrates and then those vibrations vibrate your fingers and the fingers vibrate you know your nervous system that cane is just as much of an like an extension of you and your nervous system as a finger would be uh even though it you know you can't prick the cane and feel it it's still an extension so you could make that sort of argument that these Z appendages <laughs> are just as part of someone that as anything else could be. And, and I'm saying this from a little bit of a, like a devil's advocate standpoint, looking yeah. towards the transhumanist sort of argument, right? Where like, yeah. how dare you say that this thing, like, are you going to go and take the cane away from that blind guy now too? You bigot? Yeah. And are you going to take my tits away? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's freaky about what you're saying is that arguably Canadian law kind of supports what you're saying because the reason the school couldn't go after this guy is because it's written into our human rights laws here in Canada that gender expression is protected and that not like supporting someone's gender expression is a hate crime. Right. So and gender, that's vague. What is gender expression? So you're right because they created these vague human rights laws. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he, to him, they're real. That's his gender expression. He can't hate on them. Otherwise it's a federal crime. So they've, they're starting to structure the laws in these vague ways that, that they do kind of welcome in the transhumanist. Simon, was he recently fired? Did I hear that? Did suspended? Hey, okay. So he's been taken out of the classroom and that's after the school. They initially were like, we will protect him to the end. We are going to defend this teacher no matter what they've had to double back because of all the chaos of, you know, him, you know, everything that's going on with him. So regardless of what his intentions are, the school has now had to get him out of the classroom and that's the victory. So they committed a hate crime apparently. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's (laughs) why they kept his pay. (laughs) Try to keep his pay. So it's not a hate crime. Like they're in a tricky position. I think either way, regardless of what this guy's up to, it was fucking with the kids. It wasn't letting the kids learn. It's polluting the classroom. The, the kids were starting to get threatened with suspension if they took a photo or a video of this guy. And of course, the reason it got on the internet to begin with was because the kids couldn't learn because this guy was leaning into like saws with the breasts almost getting. <laughs> it's like, you know, if I was a teen kid in that situation, I'd be like, what? I, I can't absorb anything right now. Nothing what, how old were these in. students? What was the age group of the students? Uh, this is like grade 10, like. Uh, yeah, okay. I think a grade nine or ten shop class. Pretty sure it was. That's um, amazing. Right. So, yeah. I can't either way, believe I think this was good. your school, Simon. This is <laughs> yeah. Lead with that on on, yeah. on the next, next one, interview. Lead. Yeah, you got it. Uh, Simon, this was awesome. I appreciate you. This was a lot of fun. Uh, one more time, why don't you tell our audience where they can find your movie, when yes. it's coming out, when they can expect it? Because this is awesome. All of my audience, go watch Simon's movie. Yeah, so you want to go to daughtersofthewestfilm.com. Um, so if you go there, you get a chance to sign up for the email. Uh, that's going to give you 10% off the film. And you'll get, if you do it, to, tomorrow's the last day to do it. So you get entered into a draw to win two VIP tickets to the world premiere in Arizona. So we're doing a world premiere at a cinema in Arizona on April 15th. Uh, and, uh, that's going to be, you know, we're going to make an event out of it. So you can get entered into the draw. If you sign up for the email before March 11th, um, after that, we're still going to be doing tons of other promotions leading up to the world premiere on, on April 15th. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, a small 
sneak preview that uh, people who are in the crypto community, I'm going to be doing like a web three sneak preview that uh, a very small group of people will be able to get access to. I'm releasing like an NFT series that will give some people access to that. That's going to be announced on the email as well. So if you hit up daughtersofthewestfilm.com, you'll get access to all that. I also want to say that I've built into that website, a resources section for girls and families who've been impacted by this. It will give people a ton of resources to navigate the therapy system, to get access to kids' books that don't have gender ideology, to help parents who are mourning the loss of their child to this, tons of resources. So that also, I want people to know they can get that, they can share that. Uh, and then for the rest of my work, you can go to www.simonessler.com and uh, that'll get you to everything else I'm doing, my, my docuseries on the war on the family and all of that. And then also I want to let people know about mom army and dad army. Uh, that's a movement that I'm working with right now. Uh, through that network, we're doing a lot of like the promotion for the film. And basically we're fighting back on the war on children, the war on innocence, the war on women, the war on masculinity, all of that. So you can follow mom army and dad army on Instagram and you can go to mom-army.com and, and get involved that way as well. That's awesome, man. That's, that's fantastic. And, uh, dude, I'm, we're going to have to have you back on to talk about your other projects. This has been, this has been a lot of fun, man. You're an interesting dude. And I feel like we could have a million different conversations. So totally. I would uh, love to come back. There's so much we could talk about. <laughs> uh, Thomas, you got any plugs you want to throw buddy? Yeah. I mean, well, since Simon brought up MK ultra, I have to give the plug to, uh, my paranoid pamphlet about MK ultra that breaks down the entire project from oh, paperclip all the way to modern day. Yeah. It's Thomas makes based on a chick track. The fucking shit. They're amazing. Yeah. That's dope. You can find this at paranoidamerican.com along with, uh, lots of, uh, I mean, I think I'm up to like 50 different titles. They're not all released yet, but I do have 50 completed books. Uh, and this is just one of them. So yeah, check out this paranoid pamphlet. Also at mkultracomic.com. It'll just bring you right to this. Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you. Right. right. Have a good night.